America knows war. They are war masters. We tortured some folks. So I'm going to uh, shirt front, Mr. Putin. You bet you are. Uh, you bet I am. You were born with democracy choices. You have free election right, but we don't. Please help us. Pat and Rod save the world. Yo, peeps. <laughs> Pat and Rod save the world. Week ending 7 February 2015. A special shout out to Dave Carter who was the uh, illustrious author of our new Sting. Yeah, I, um, uh, we took a few different uh, grabs from uh, various speeches around the world that uh, tickled our fancies and, uh, and put them together into a little Sting there. Rather, yeah, well, Dave was good enough to mix it up for us so that it sounded professional and, well, quasi-professional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thanks, Dave. We really appreciate it. Hmm. Uh, today's topics, we're going to start with a uh, Jordanian pilot being burned in a cage. And um, reactions to that. A little, uh, a cheery way to begin. Um, and then we're going to talk about the measles outbreak in the United States. Yeah, and what it sort of means for people's trust or lack thereof in various institutions. And what sort of, what sort of uh, faith the people still have in their doctors, in their lawyers, in their politicians in their priests, in their coppers. Not much. Sweet fuck all. Not much. We'll get to Spoiler that. alert, not <laughs> much. Um, so this week, um, ISIS released a video of a Jordanian pilot who'd been shot down in a bombing run over the uh, ISIS positions in Iraq. And um, they, uh, the punishment or the execution method was to burn him in a cage. Yeah, they're pleasant fellows, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so I've not watched the footage. No. I yeah, I I don't see any reason to watch the footage. No. Um, I don't think that it's beneficial for one's mind. Yeah. I mean, not even that. It's what ISIS. What like? There's a reason they video these executions and release it. It's because they want people watching it. That's true, actually. Um, so, how about this? That look fucking Simpsons song from one of their Halloween specials. Just don't look. Just don't look. Don't fucking watch ISIS videos, people. What are you doing? <laughs> well, you are the representative of the media in this podcast. Mm. And it is really the media that allows this kind of stuff to get propagated. Um, so, I hold you personally responsible. Yeah, it's clearly my fault. <laughs> I'm sorry. So it's a very interesting situation because Jordan is a Sunni Arab nation. And, and there are a few things to explain about Jordan before we begin um, discussing this. And they're sort of interesting contextual points. King Abdullah, um, who is the current ruler of Jordan, <clears throat> and he's nothing but a despot. Darling of the West. He is a darling of the West. He was educated in England. Um, and essentially succeeded his father, King Hussein. Um, it's called the Hashemite Kingdom, and basically a Hashemite is someone who is descended directly from the same tribe as Muhammad. It might be family. I actually think it might be family rather than tribe. Regardless, the legitimacy is essentially conferred by lineage, um, shared with the Prophet Muhammad. Is this an actual lineage or is it someone going, as in, is it documented or like did a hundred yeah. years ago someone just go, hey, by the way, yeah. my uncle's uncle something something? Um, that's no. disputed. Okay. I and I, might... yeah, I don't have the chops to know who's correct. Um, long and short of it is, that's how they say they are, um, you know, they have the sort of divine mandate to rule. Um, so... Jordan is a very important part of the strategic puzzle in the Middle East. Um, they, are, they share a very long border with Israel, um, and it's very important for the West interests to ensure that they are pacified and friendly. And King Hussein and his successor, King Abdullah, um, are very friendly towards Israel. And they have the additional problem, though, that 50% of Jordan's population is actually Palestinian in heritage. Um, and that, that contingent of the population is made up of people who fled um, 
during the war between um, the Jews before they established the state of Israel and the Arabs in 1947. Oh. So a lot of Jordanians are actually really Palestinians. Um, and the other thing is, is that um, the West Bank was actually part of Jordan until 1967. I didn't know that. That's why it's the occupied territories now. Okay. So it, during the 1967 war, Israel took over not only the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt, but also um, the West Bank. And they started to administer it as a military occupation. Um, subsequent to that, peace was made with Jordan, and they've become happy lapdogs of the West with enormous amounts of military funding. Jordan is essentially 12 tribes of uh, Bedouin Arabs who are ruled over um, by the Hashemite monarchy. And so really what King Abdullah needs is the buy-in from these tribes. Yeah. Um, and they are essentially the other 50% of the population. So the descendants of the Bedouins who were the original inhabitants of the area are sort of knitted together in this monarchy. Um, and they essentially repress the other 50% of people who are Palestinians. So this is not a country that is unified. It's not stable. Yeah. Um, and King Abdullah, despite the sort of, uh, you know, cosmopolitan Western visage presented to the West, does sit atop one of the nastier secret services and secret police apparatus, apparati, in the Middle East. Um, they are well known for nasty, nasty things. Mm. So my, uh, my question there would be, with such a fractured society, yeah. um, would something like, uh, you know, seeing one of their uh, Air Force soldiers, what do, you, what do you call someone in the Air Force? Are they still a soldier or are they a, uh, a pilot? Pilot, yeah. 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 Um, you know, getting horrifically murdered. Um, by ISIS, is that the sort of thing that could galvanise and yeah. band a, a fractured society together, or will, or do you think it could fracture it further? Do you know if there's much sort of bedrock support for uh, for ISIS within, say, some of the more oppressed members of Jordan? Or there would be yeah. no question, there would be, but I, I don't have direct personal experience of that. Um, suffice it to say, though, that. Um, th there's no question that the Jordanian population has been galvanised against ISIS. The thing is, though, it's very hard to know what people's opinions are in Jordan. And I say this from personal experience, having um, stayed for sort of lengthy periods there while I was living in the Middle East. Um, the population is sort of so divided that, I mean, so for instance, in Sydney, yep. there are convenience stores, okay? 24-7 convenience stores. Now, yep. virtually every single guy working at those convenience stores is Jordanian. The owner of the chain is Jordanian. Okay. So, Sydney Ciders, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's the convenience store that's everywhere. The, um, that is owned by a Jordanian bloke. Okay. The one with the logo, which is of like the Centerpoint Tower. That's and, it. And, yeah. Uh, Sydney that's, Opera House. Yeah. So, yeah. that's a Jordanian owner. Now, when I walk into those and I speak Arabic with those guys to practice... The first question that you ask is Urduni Urduni Willa Palestini Urduni, which means are you Jordanian Jordanian or Palestinian Jordanian? And invariably the answer is ah, oh, Urduni Urduni. Like I'm a real Jordanian. So like that gives you a sense of how split this society is. The other thing that's probably worth mentioning is King Abdullah is really kind of an import. Um, he lived in the West until his father died and he succeeded him. And he was generally mocked by the Arab straight, i.e. Arabs that I knew when I lived in the Middle East, thought that he was an idiot because he spoke Arabic like a child. Because he'd spent so much time in the West, his Arabic was terrible. And one of the great markers of where you fit in society in that part of the world is what kind of accent you speak Arabic with and how well you can speak the sort of formal Fusha language. And, you know, from all accounts, his Arabic was fucking terrible. <laughs> I mean, even as a foreigner, I could tell that it was shaky. <laughs> so um, people uh, generally don't take him seriously, except to the extent that they live in his country and they're afraid of his secret police. 
and therefore take him seriously. But it's a Sunni population, they're now sort of united in disgust to the extent that we can tell against ISIS. And that is a significant thing because it was only seven or eight months ago that there were real fears about uh, King Abdullah surviving major protests in Jordan. There was a real opposition movement. Um, And he doesn't have the money from oil wells to buy off people who are unhappy with him, like the Gulf states do. Yeah. So there was some real concern about whether or not Abdullah would even last through the Arab Spring protests. Um, at this juncture, he's looking pretty safe, and the propaganda that he's now showing on television is just delicious. <laughs> it is fan-fucking-tastic. Because like any good... Um, like any good member of a royal family in the Middle East, um, he was a member of the Air Force himself. He's okay. actually a pilot. So he can dress in the fatigues and look the part. Sort of think George Bush, except the cheeseburger head of Abdullah instead. <laughs> Which, and, by and the way... And, you know, he was actually in the military, not like George Bush. That's true, yeah. So he has one up on George in that respect. I'm not sure if he was ever in action... Um, but, you know, King Abdullah at least has done the training. Anyway, this guy is given a real rap in the West, and I would just like to even the record. Um, he's, he is a despot. He does not give people freedom of speech. Uh, he tortures people who, or at least the apparatus beneath him tortures people when they try and insist on the right to free speech and association. And, you know, honestly, when you travel through Jordan, you really get sick of seeing his smug, fat fucking face on every wall, <laughs> on every wall and billboard that you pass on the road or in the hairdressing, in the in the barber shop. Um, I, I really dislike the guy, and I dislike him even more because he's given a rap in the West. Yeah. Um, so, do you think that ISIS are? actually fucking themselves up with in the Middle East. So like here's they are, the thing. Because, this, they, I mean, they've now seemingly galvanised um, Jordan against them. Mm. They've uh, Lebanon uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, Syria. Um, so, I mean, who... I don't... Who's backing them? Well, they are backing themselves. Yeah, really. but I, I mean, mean how, how long can that conceivably go for, I guess? Well, as long as they have oil, which they do, and they are selling it, they can sustain themselves for quite some time. Okay, who's buying ISIS's oil? Next question. Apparently, the Turkish border is a leak point. Mm. Um, But so I think the interesting thing about this is that all the beheadings, beheadings are one thing. What people need to understand is that Arabs don't consider beheadings to be that terrible a thing. It's prescribed in the Quran as a punishment. Okay, so while we think it's horrific that people get beheaded, in the Middle East, eh, well, Muhammad did it, so why not, yeah. is the general opinion. But uh, putting a guy in a cage and setting him on fire, on the other hand, seems yeah. to have got a much, much bigger reaction Absolutely. Um, from, uh, from Muslims in the Middle East than anything else. So we would call beheading barbaric, but for them, uh, and properly so, putting a dude in a cage burning him is actually barbaric. So this is like, it's a conversation that we can have with the Arabs about a common enemy where we don't have this uncomfortable sort of elephant in the room that actually they consider a certain kind of punishment okay in some circumstances. There is no justification anywhere in Islam, at least to the best of my knowledge, for burning a guy in a cage. So um, this is why it's had such a sort of galvanizing effect in the Middle East. And you've got to ask yourself the question, though. Like, ISIS do not strike me as being a bunch of idiots, okay? They are clearly fundamentalist assholes, but that doesn't mean they're stupid. And they've had real gains. They control a lot of territory. And, f- I mean, really, they're one of the most successful insurgent groups in, in modern history. And I know that that's not a convenient thing to acknowledge, but I don't think it's disputable. So the question is, if they've got the smarts in that respect, what is going on here? I mean, what is the strategy here? It's a really interesting question. And um, I, um, I'm not sure that uh, you're, you're giving them uh, too much credit. 
in that they have been very successful, but yeah. whether or not that actually took any vast amounts of intelligence, um, as opposed to just uh, having the um, ninety percent of success being showing up. Uh, yeah, you're <laughs> saying they were in the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure, um, but regardless, uh, if uh, if there's a strategy behind. Jesus Christ putting up the pilot in a cage and setting him on fire, mm. filming it and having the world see it. Mm. Uh, I think it might have something to do, and this is clutching at straws because it's trying to put yourself in the muddy shoes of someone whose actions make no sense to you. Mm. Um, but basically putting a wedge in people. Um, the more people in Western societies fear Muslims and uh, discriminate against Muslims in their own countries, uh, I think the more ISIS thinks that they will have um, sort of ready-made recruiting grounds for them in those countries. I think that that is a good... I think that's a good point. And I think, you know, with all the, uh, you know beheadings and executions and all those things they've done, they've seen, you know, this massive reaction in, um, in Western countries um, and, uh, and they, uh, you know, might be, and might be hopeful of, uh, well, we just, we keep getting the, we keep getting Western countries to think of all Muslims as bad and evil. Mm. Uh, and then... You know, the the kids who are going to become extremists anyway. We can be as uh, we can be as fucking out there as we want, mm. and we'll still recruit them. Mm. Um, so, but where that doesn't make sense for me, though, yeah, uh, is that because that is looking at it very clearly in a ISIS versus the West paradigm, and I'm not entirely sure that's the right way to be looking at this. If I'm being, if I'm being honest, because I, I can't see where their strategy is in what they're doing here in terms of within the Muslim world. I can't see an upside for them. Um, mm. Well, I can see there's a certain degree of upside that they might gain from parts of the Jordanian population, i.e. the Palestinian part, mm. that feel repressed. Because no one in the army or the police in Jordan is. They're all Jordanian, Jordanian, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so... Like, ISIS and many Arabs would view the Jordanian monarchy as really a whore to the West. And there would be no thing that they consider more evil than a whore to the West bombing um, its own or their own. So a few Arabs bombing another few mm -hmm. uh, based on their strategic alliance with the United States. That would be to the to the minds of ISIS and actually many other people in the Middle East a really abhorrent sort of thing to be. Yeah, you're perpetrating violence against other Muslims on behalf of the West, is how many people would see it. Um, the thing is, though, that I actually think on balance, what is likely here is that it was just a a field commander that um, did something that was out of line. Yeah. I actually don't think that the mainstream religious, well, to the extent you can call them mainstream, the, 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 the leadership of ISIS would have chosen to do this. Because to these people, and I think a lot of people lose this in the debate about whether or not ISIS has anything to do with Islam, <laughs> to just put that aside for a second, religious legitimacy is incredibly important to these people. And they've really put a lot of Muslims offside, religious Muslims, who might well be supporters by doing this thing. Mm. So I actually think on balance it was probably an errant field commander. And this kind of thing happens a lot. I observed it myself in um, militias where I was, that um, a, a lot of the time there would be a local chieftain who would just kind of go rogue and the leadership had no option but to back that guy and what he'd done because they didn't want to show disunity. 
Um, and so I think that if I was to put my money anywhere, it would be on that. Yeah. I would say that this is just yes, an asshole commander. The, the leadership doesn't want to look disunified. It was a whore of the West, so fuck him anyway. Um, we're just going to stick behind um, this particular act and, and hope that people kind of uh, forget about it as we continue to fight the good fight for Allah. That would be my... That's possible, yeah. That's my bet. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, it's, a, it's complicated. And the other thing is in terms of... You were talking before about, like, how much support is there for ISIS. I heard an interesting Muslim commentator the other day, and this sort of conforms with my own experience a lot, um, where he was talking about the fact that many, many Muslims will say to people um, in public, oh, look, we abhor these kinds of things. But then in private, when they speak amongst themselves, uh, sort of saying things to the effect that, well, you know, fuck the West, they deserve it. Interesting. Um, Where was that guy from? um, Let me just find out his name. What people say in public versus what they say behind closed doors mirrors my experience closely in the sense that, you know, when I lived in the Middle East, initially people would say one thing. As I got to know them better, as time went on, as they were more kind of forthcoming, you hear a very different thing. So, I mean, this is why I had this theory a few podcasts ago about the fact that everyone seems to be against ISIS, but, like, there are probably a lot of Muslims wondering whether or not this is the new Khalifa. Yeah. Again, though, I mean, there hasn't been very much in the way of ISIS aggression against the West. No, absolutely not. There's been a couple of Westerners executed, but for the overwhelming majority of their actions, it's been killing Muslims. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why, like, if it was, if they were out there, you know, uh, bombing Western cities or whatever, I could understand, well, not understand, but I could... I could see more of an argument for someone on the Arab street going, oh, I abhor that in public and then going home and going, oh, fuck the West. But Mm. in in this one, I just, I I can't see how if you're a, you know, lower middle class Muslim living living in Cairo or uh, um, Damascus or wherever, Mm. that you would look at ISIS with anything but horror. Um, because they're probably going to kill you if they had the chance, because that's who they've been killing. Well, if you're a Sunni Muslim, no, they're not going to kill you. Um, If you're a Sunni Muslim who plays by their twisted set of rules, Mm -hmm. fundamentalist rules, you'll be fine. Um, It's hard to, like... I mean, religion matters in the Middle East in a way that we find, frankly, hard to imagine here, I think. Yeah. And this is why I've always kind of sort of mentioned, like, for Muslims, you need to just sort of understand that beheading is just not that big a fucking deal. Saudi Arabia does it all the time as a part of their formal justice system. So, like, we get outraged about beheadings, but people just need to understand that it's not that big a deal there. It's just not. Um, So I I take your point, though, in the sense that, like, to the average Muslim... um, in the Middle East, ISIS is really the greatest risk that they have. Yeah. But I think it's worth keeping in mind that if you're a religious Muslim, to to an extent, you're going to agree with what ISIS is doing. If you think about it from their perspective, ISIS is opposing the, the secular Satan in Syria, yeah. who, by the way, is an Alawite, which is a kind of Shia. Yeah. That's not something commonly known. Like... The ruling Ba'ath Party in Syria is actually Shia. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, they're Alawites. So they're not Sunni. They rule over a Sunni majority. Yeah. But like, so for the average Sunni, Bashar al-Assad is like, a, a, you know, he's a fucking whore, secular Shia who's pushing around Sunni Arabs. So they're not so against ISIS trying to kick his ass. Mm-hmm. In Iraq, you have a Western-installed government that, you know, the Middle East is not going to consider legitimate um, because it has so much support from America. And what's worth, worse, by the way, from the perspective of the Sunni Muslims, uh, they're Iran-backed. 
like the, the government in Iraq, I mean, Iran wields an enormous amount of influence. So it's like if you're attacking the Iraqi and Syrian governments, I don't think there are going to be many Sunni Muslims who are uh, uh, sort of against that um, in, in the Middle East. And then you sort of bring into the, the picture the fact that the Jordanian monarchy mm-hmm. is considered to be a whore of the West. And the fact that uh, ISIS is having a crack at them on their border, I don't think the average Sunni is going to be too bent out of shape about that. So you just got to keep in mind, like, the sort of sectarian, fractious nature of the place makes strange bedfellows um, and leads to counterintuitive results. Anyway, we've probably talked that out a bit. Yeah. So let's move on to topic two. All right. So uh, measles in the US. Um, Yes. And I I love the fact that it began in Disneyland. That's it. (laughs) uh, it was a um, it was a it was a woman who went there and was sick, wasn't it? Uh, I have no patient idea. zero. I have <laughs> no idea. I just know that it's considered to be the pestilence pot yeah. from which this particular outbreak I, um, has come from. I can't remember where I'm remembering this bit of information or misremembering it, as the case may be. Um, but I, I seem to recall reading in one of the stories about it that it wasn't actually a kid who was. Who was sick there? It was a parent, right? But I could be, I could be wildly wrong. On that. Well, that could well be the case because it doesn't matter if you've been vaccinated. In some cases, you mm. still get measles. So the simple fact is, though, that what's happened is there's been an outbreak of measles in the United States, and um, the common sort of opinion at this point is that it's happened because less and less people are actually getting their children vaccinated. Yeah, and this has been going on for a while. I mean, the, anti, the anti-vaccination movement, I think, you know, sort of started in the late 90s, early 2000s mm. uh, from a bloke whose name escapes me at the moment who had his studies linking uh, vaccines to autism. It's since been entirely discredited. No other scientists have been able to match his result. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically just completely full of shit. But, you know, various minor celebrities like Jenny McCarthy... Um, and a few bigger ones like uh, Jim Carrey, who I think was married to Jenna McCarthy. He was. Um, you know, then uh, Oprah pushed it uh, as well. Um, and yeah. uh, and more, so more and more people started uh, just thinking vaccine autism um, and not getting their kids uh, not getting their kids vaccinated. Yeah. Um, and I think that the other interesting point to note is that. Um, these problems seem to be presenting themselves because there have been other outbreaks of whooping cough, for instance. Yeah. Um, up in the sort of northwest uh, of America in very, very sort of uh, left-leaning communities. Yeah. So this is as much a phenomenon of the uh, sort of far left as it is a phenomenon of the far right yeah, as well. Yeah, that's, that's the int- uh, an interesting thing about it because you've got people on the far right of American politics, almost pushing the angle that, yeah, you should be free. Yeah, to this is a question of personal sovereignty. Yeah. I should be able to make choices for my children. Um, I mean, it's an interesting question. Do you think that um, vaccines should be mandated legally? Uh, <sighs> Yeah, your response to my question on that mirrors my feelings on it. Yeah, I, I, as in... I feel as uncomfortable as you look talking about mandating it. Yeah, like I, I can see good reasons to mandate it and the reasons not to are perhaps not so great. Mm. Um, but at the same time... I'm not a massive fan of... Of mandating everything, you know, having everything set down by law, and you have to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, I, if if someone had a gun to my head and and demanded an answer from me, I would say, yeah, no problem, mandate it. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm not sure. I think the problem with it is, and I was mentioning this to Rod earlier on, that while I think most intelligent people are across the fact that there is no link between vaccines and autism. That there are still medically recognised risks with vaccines. Uh, And they're infinitesimal. 
But there's also a question, I think, in the minds of, frankly, rational people, myself included, who do wonder whether or not there are risks that we don't know about in relation to vaccines. Because uh, the human body is an incredibly complex organism. And when you introduce that kind of... um, When you introduce sort of a cocktail of... um, dead viruses and manufactured synthetic substances yeah. into the immune system of a small kid, yeah. who knows what impact that actually has. Yeah. You know, everyone's slightly different. Everyone's getting, you know, brain chemistry. That's, that's it. Um, so, I mean, generally speaking, I personally, on in health matters, I err on the side of non-intervention. Um, and, you know, I'm sensible about that. I get second and I get third opinions. Yeah. But, like, generally speaking, I don't like to mess too much with things. And there's actually a lot of science at the moment about the long-term effects of antibiotics that are now only becoming clear with a generation that grew up having antibiotics as the panacea for any trouble that they ran into. I mean, there's a bunch of of, uh, viruses, I guess, that are just uh, bypassing antibiotics now, aren't they? Yeah, there are. So that's kind of a separate issue. The antibiotics immunity is a serious one, though, no question. Uh, but there are questions about whether or not this uh, makes people uh, uh, more allergic yeah. to different things. Um, there seems to be a link in studies to that. And um, so, I mean, I don't think that people who don't want their kids to be vaccinated are behaving in a completely irrational way for the simple reason that you can be a free rider. You can take advantage of the immunity from everyone else getting the vaccine and not have to expose your kids to whatever risks do exist, if they even exist. Mm. To be frank, I'm not sure that they do, obviously, but it's very hard to know that they don't. Um, So I think people just basically make a purely self-interested decision in many cases that they just don't want to take whatever risks exist um, and they'll just rely on everyone else taking the risk. Which I think is basically immoral. Like, yeah, it's a very selfish. I would not do it personally. Even if I have slight concerns about who knows what the fuck this could be doing, there's no question that it reduces the risks of something that we do know is a serious fucking problem. Like you can't, you can't argue with the numbers. No. uh, In terms of, you know. There's no question. Vaccines have wiped out diseases that used to be the kind of stalking terror of every child in the West. Yeah. Um, so there's no question that like there, there's a there's this real sort of evil that we can avoid by everyone getting this vaccine and taking on whatever risks exist. Yeah. So my own personal opinion is that I would have my kids vaccinated. Uh, yeah. Because I'd feel like a right cunt if I didn't. <laughs> basically. Yeah. And the problem is, is that apparently 94% is what the threshold is for quote herd immunity. So if you have 94% of people um, vaccinated, it's very hard for a particular virus to take hold in a population. But apparently when you dip below kind of 94, 92, you start to get into territory where you can actually have a virus propagate um, and sort of cause an outbreak. Okay. Yeah. What I find really interesting about this topic, and we we had a bit of a chat about it before um, and mentioned it at the start of the podcast, I mean, it, it's almost unthinkable that 20 years ago, if people said, um, you know, if you've got doctors and the scientific community all saying get, get vaccinated, that many people would really have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. But in the last 10 years, uh, you, you, people's uh, sort of faith in the sort of institution of medicine seems to have been eroded to the point that they they're happy to ignore what doctors say, um, and uh, and so that raised a much sort of broader question in my mind of all of the major institutions that people used to put their faith in. Um, you know, speaking as a journalist, media would be one of those that people just don't have faith in anymore. Um, and um, you can get a Jenny McCarthy sitting on a chat show with a doctor next to her. And people are gonna, and people believe fucking Jenny McCarthy over the doctor. Um, mm. It's uh, it's bizarre, and um, and you know we were trying to work talking about, you know why don't people 
uh, why don't people trust their doctors anymore? Why don't people trust their policemen? Why don't people trust their law trust law lawyers? Do people ever trust lawyers? Did people ever trust politicians? Because I don't think they they certainly don't in Australia anymore. Um, no, and I think that, that like the operative question as well is it's not just that they don't trust their competence. Yeah, it's they, don't that they don't trust, trust their intentions. Yeah, they don't trust their good faith. Yeah. They don't trust that they are trying to do the best that they can in a difficult situation. People are so cynical that they actually think that these people are completely self-interested. I count myself amongst those. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's overwhelming evidence to the effect that they don't give a fuck about anything except getting re-elected. Yeah. Um, and I mean, just to use uh, the, the Australian political example of, uh, of Tony Abbott, the Prime Minister, who's in way massive trouble at the moment. Um, but, you know, a little bit of background. Uh, when he got elected, he was up against a... He was the opposition up against a government who were pretty much unelectable. Um, all he pretty really had to do was just keep his mouth shut uh, and watch them implode, and he was just always going to coast in um, and win that election. Even there, though, he still uh, gave a couple of clear promises to the to the voting public about things that he wasn't going to do, um, uh, and they were things that you know didn't you know they were things that middle-class Australia would be happy to hear him say, um, but sort of went against his sort of right-wing leanings. And sure enough, within a year of him being elected, he was breaking promise after promise after promise. Just wholesale. Wholesale. Um, wholesale. And with, with the excuse that, well, we had a greater obligation to the Australian people. Yeah. But I mean, as you were saying before, I don't think that there was ever any intention by him to actually stick by those promises. Yeah. Circumstances didn't change. He didn't kind of have an epiphany that um, this was actually not the right way. I think he just was absolutely cynical in the way that he um, promoted himself as someone who wasn't going to disrupt the, yeah. the apple cart. And it was then, supposed to be a no surprises government. It was. That was one of the, one of the, one of the catchphrases of the election campaign. Um, and, you know, it's, again... All you can all you can say is what you've what you've seen and what you've heard. You're not. Uh, I can't get into Tony Abbott's mind and, and say for sure one way or another. But just my impression of it was that he basically was happy to lie, assuming that he'd get at least a one-term grace period before people really turned on him. Mm. Um, and yeah, he never had any intention of doing anything other than what he's done. Um, and I think that is the way a lot of people look at politicians now. Just no faith in either their competency or their intentions. Um, yeah. And so we're actually listing all the institutions that people used to have faith in. They yeah. don't have faith in them anymore. Um, yeah, your priest, your copper, your, your politician, your, uh, yeah. your lawyer, your doctor, your newspaper, um, your teachers. Yeah, teachers. The people have... Um, education as a whole, and I mean, just quickly getting back to the um, uh, getting back to the vaccines thing, um, and you know, it, when it comes to things like education institutions, uh, science, medicine, uh, and all that kind of research that you know all these institutions rely upon, I think it, for a large extent they only have themselves to blame if people don't trust them. Um, and are listening to the Jenny McCarthy's of the world instead of the doctor, because of the amount of uh, the amount of studies that occur um, and findings that are made, where people can basically look and go, "Oh, this is who funded that." What a surprise that these findings match what this uh, what the backers want. Um, and every time something like that happens, it just erodes people's faith in. Um, in whatever institution it is, just that little bit more. Um, mm. There's, I mean, we're actually listing all the institutions that people no longer have faith in. And scarily enough, the institution that we were left with that people still have, they yeah. still seem to have faith in in the West, um, is none other than the army. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, I, we we listed a whole stack of them. I just couldn't think of, you know, no, no. Don't still have faith in that. No, people fucking hate that now. Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and we got to the military 
and uh, and yeah, you're still a hero if you're in an army uniform, mm. um, which is uh, and that's I think. The, the same throughout the Western world. Yeah, certainly uh, in America as well. Yeah, um, America, Australia, Britain. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could speak for Israel as well. That's virtually the only institution anyone has any faith in. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I'm not sure that uh, the sort of martial, uh, martial institutions having faith above any other is really a good thing. Yeah. It's not a good place for us to be. Yeah. Um, and it's not as though the Australian military hasn't had its fucking problems in the past few years. I mean... No, that's true, actually. Um, yeah. They've had, uh, you know, uh, massive sex assault scandals. Yeah. Um, but people still, people still have faith in the military. Yeah, it's a strange uh, thing because the other thing is is that a lot of people pin the decline in faith in institutions to the Vietnam War. And the fact that sort of the baby boom yeah, generation yeah. was sort of at that point had this realisation en masse that the government was lying to them and that the war was going terribly and yeah. that there was really no justification for what was happening. And that coloured a whole generation and how they thought. And the military was intimately involved in that. Yeah. But for some reason, it's the politicians that carry the can. Well, I mean, that might be uh, something to do with it in that you had all the returning vets from Vietnam uh, getting treated quite badly in many instances. That's true. Um, but then there was such a backlash against that reaction. So like a, a reaction to the, to the reaction. Um, and sort of since that point, mm. it's hands off the vets. They were just there doing their job, Ooh, and, playing and the politicians. By extension, yeah. hands off the military. Because yeah. I mean, let's not forget the people between the politicians and the vets who are the generals. Yeah. And those guys are motherfuckers yeah, for the most just, part. Um, <laughs> at least from what I can tell, they're the ones who are always pushing to stay. Um, and I mean, again, it's kind of like they're, it's a functional position. It's like letting the lawnmower tell you where it wants to cut. <laughs> so you have to sort of restrain these guys. So I mean, there's a certain degree of sympathy I have for the plight that they find themselves in. Nonetheless, they are um, people who are experts in killing other people. So I can't really get that sympathetic for them. Um, Anyway, but there's this sort of also this question of like leadership. Yeah. And the idea of who are the people that we point to now and say that's a role model. That person is emblematic of something that we admire and wish to emulate. Yeah. Because it's certainly not politicians. Well, it ain't politicians anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not uh, queen and country or king and country. Well, for the most part. For the most no. part. Unless you're a fucking moron. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's not sports stars, that's for sure. I mean, I always no. thought the idea of a sports star as like a, a sort of a moral role model was a ridiculous yeah, idea. Yeah, totally. I mean, with. you know, kids still have their sporting heroes, but um, yeah, they should limit them to yeah. like, I mean, heroize them in respect of bowling a cricket ball. Like don't don't look at them to uh, be your model for behaviour. No, yeah. I mean Shane Warne should not <laughs> be someone that anyone aspires to oh, be like. 40. He really is a fucking dirtbag. What uh, what a bizarre human being that guy is. I don't think he's bizarre at all. Oh, he's. I just think he's a clown at the back of the class who would have ended up never, working at McDonald's, but for the fact up. that he was good at bowling a cricket. Ball. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so and, and that's I, I think generally speaking how sports stars should be considered like you know you have this kind of aberrant skill that is disproportionately valued and you know bully bully for you and it's good that it's worked out for you but um uh, we're not going to pay much attention to you but for the fact that you can do yeah. that particular thing i'm not going to listen to your opinions on geopolitics no no i mean the same thing for actors by the way yeah since fucking when should an actor have the ability to make pronouncements on something like it's it's purely yeah. by dint of publicity though yeah i mean when it comes down to it like there's no reason actually that we are qualified to pronounce on things more than an actor is i you know we're not no. um it's just that they have a public forum and we don't so you know i suppose the criticism of actors as being people who are taken seriously by other people though is yeah. worthwhile making 
like we don't expect to be taken seriously because we're no. not experts. But it is a silly thing if actors are taken seriously. Yeah, because they don't fucking know. No, they have no <laughs> idea. I mean, George Clooney. It's weird, actually. Alec Baldwin, for fuck's sake. How actors kind of like they absorb the sheen from their false roles. Like, Eric Baldwin. Sorry, Team America. Right? Team America. Right? <laughs> um, so. This has been a bit scattershot, but like, who are the people we point at and call role models now? I got nothing. Like, I honestly, couldn't. I can't think of anyone either. I mean, you have people like even Bono. You know what I mean? Like the great humanitarian Bono. 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 Whatever. <laughs> I mean, generally speaking, considered a douchebag. <laughs> even though he's a real humanitarian and does all these spectacular yeah. things. Uh, so, I mean, there are isolated instances. There are, like, the Mother Teresas of the world. Yeah. You can point but to people them. Even, people even uh, uh, keep trying to bring her down. Uh, I've read a couple of... Yeah, well, to be honest with you... ...people who, you know, trying to make her out to be a terrible human being. Um, I think it's hard to make her out a terrible human being. People I, try. I think it's easy, though, to point at her as someone who was misguided and was involved in some pretty fucking nasty things because of the fact that she was essentially religiously misguided um, you know Christopher Hitchens is really the famous assailant of Mother Teresa and um, you know I enjoy the fact that he pointed out the things that he did I think he's about 30% right on it uh, but there's still 30% of correctness in my view anyway like is there anyone else I mean other kind of um well, vast amounts of stupid people, you know, still go gaga over royalty as much as I give yeah. a shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, but yeah, let's ignore the stupid people. Like, who would we, though, consider to be, like, a role model? I'm not sure we have any. Okay, this is probably an appropriate time, Ken. John Oliver. John Dean Oliver. Colbert. I suppose, in a weird kind of way, um, I really... People who point out the problems of the world with humour. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe Colbert. I mean, I don't think Oliver's been around for long enough for no. me to give him props for that, but certainly Colbert was around for long enough and made good enough points and the stunts he did were... I would call Colbert a role model. Yeah, all right. right. Thanks, man. No worries. Took me a while, but I got someone. If anyone can think of role model, I mean, we're being too cynical. I think. I think this is just. We're well, I mean, it's not place. that there aren't great people in the world doing great things. Yeah. Um, there are people doing amazing things every single day in every single country, but they're the little people who don't get noticed. So, I mean, maybe the question is like, we could think of various people that we like their work. Yeah. But is there a class of people? Yeah. Exactly. And, is it and like, like that's the thing. I mean, because once upon a time, it was you know your priests, your polis, you your coppers. got respect and yeah. the status of a role model if by you were in of your position. Exactly. Yeah. And what position is there in society today that carries that with it? So we would, well, at least I was talking about this as if it was a bad thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe actually. it's not. Maybe it's actually closer to reality. Yeah. And well, you will only be judged as an individual and what you do yourself, not on what organisation or class you belong to. That's actually, there'd be a strong argument that that's a better model. Um, well, I would say it's a better model, but yeah. I feel like perhaps there's a vacuum of sorts, though. Yeah, a leadership vacuum in Western society. Because there was a time when politicians were considered to be role models. Yeah, definitely. And I know that sounds strange. It sounds strange even saying that. Yeah. But that was the kind of dominant paradigm, that the leaders of the democracy were the people that you looked up to. I mean, at this point, I was saying to you yesterday that, like, all of the sort of stuff and nonsense and furor and energy that's poured into the political process yeah. and the, the outcome of all of that sort of, sort of effort and, and, and um, resources is like Kevin Rudd. Yeah. Tony Abbott. Like, who the fuck are these people? Julia Gillard. I mean, Do, why... Bill are, fucking Shorten. Who are you? How are these people... How are you... The outcome. How are you people at the top of our political tree? 
Yeah. You're fucking intellectual drop bears. You're, <laughs> you're killing us. You're, um, the only thing is that, like, I start to wonder, if you consider the politicians who are promoted into positions of power to be a product of the system, then, like, really, how much good can you say about that system? Yeah, not much. Well, it still seems to be the least worst yeah, I, I mean, so it's still better than a dictatorship with a murderous, torturous uh, secret service underneath it. No question. Um, no question. It's better. And, you know, at the end of the day, as we're seeing in Australia in the last couple of state elections and in the federal polls, they, I mean, people still do have power here. You lie to the public, you piss off the public, they will vote you out. Um, now, you've, there's another question that is if the other side is just as bad. And yeah. there's, there's no shining lights in Australian politics on any side, I don't think. Um, you know, you're just like voting, you're just, you're just voting out shit to bring in more shit. But my hope is that what, how, what's certainly in Australia what's happening is that governments are getting voted out much quicker. Um, mm. And I just hope that politicians eventually learn from that like a fucking dog with a shock collar <laughs> like <laughs> that might be the only way they'll learn like stop taking the public for full stop lying to them and expecting to get away with it just yeah. don't try and lurch the country to far right or far left based on your own bullshit ideologies just do your middle of the road prudent management Keep your promises, or you'll get voted the fuck well, out. Keep a reasonable proportion yeah, of your exactly. promises. Exactly. Like changing circumstances, fine. Sure, we, we get it. Yeah. Um, We're not happy about it, yeah. but we get it. Yeah. But don't, uh, and you know, or if you don't do these things, you'll get voted the fuck out. And uh, eventually they might start to learn that lesson. I certainly hope so. I hope so too. I mean, we've gotten here after like talking about the vaccination thing. Yeah. Sort of to wheel it back, I've feel like people look around them these days and they go, well, all of the people who used to be role models have been exposed as really just craven, selfish yeah. individuals who are out for number one. And it's almost as if there was a large portion of the public who used to believe that the way to behave was in the interests of like the public yeah. and everyone, not only yourself, and that there's you a balancing yeah. act to be had. But it's like by popping, by popping what I think was probably just a, an illusion about people in institutions who used to be ostensibly acting in the interest. Yeah, of the actually, public, that's a very that's a very good point. I, we've popped the bubble, and I think yeah. that's popped the bubble for a lot of people who used to basically on the basis of that illusion act in ways that were good for everyone rather than acting in ways which is good for themselves. So in a way you could argue that the sort of popping of this illusion has made us worse, yeah. made us more selfish. Yeah. And I think actually the vaccination thing is a, is a good example of where people have just made the decision that I'm going to look out for number one. Yeah. Because if I don't look out for myself, who the fuck is? That's a really good point. And it's worth mentioning when we're talking about you know, all these institutions uh, where people would automatically be considered role models back in the day. Um, I think the point that it was an, a illusion or a, an illusion rather than reality is an important one to make because I wouldn't be convinced for a second that the politicians of 100 years ago were any better than the ones we've got today. No, there was um, just an... But a general agreement on behalf of perhaps a less sophisticated public, yeah. less well-informed public, that um, these people were acting in their best interests. Yeah. And, I mean, you only need to look at the scandals that have sort of taken the scales away from the eyes of the public yeah. to, to know that these institutions were not acting in the best interests of the public. Yeah. The Catholic Church is a perfect example. Yep. All they fucking cared about was keeping it quiet. Um, and, I mean, really, you're talking about the abuse of children. It does not get any urgent. Okay. A problem does not get more urgent to solve than that kind of problem. Yeah. And they just did not give a fuck. 
all they cared about was self-preservation as an institution. Yeah. Actually, one of the stories that's interested me this week, uh, probably won't have time to go into it, um, but just on that, the uh, the Jewish community in Australia is having uh, big issues with that at the moment. Oh, are they? Uh, in, like, more or less institutionalised child abuse that rabbis kept quiet about. Oh, gross. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how widespread it is. It's pretty much just a couple of people saying it at the moment. Mm. Um, but it started. Um, That's interesting. I mean, you if you see it in more than one context, and you see it, like, the, the Boy Scouts had their problems. Yeah. Like, you just see... This, this Sal, I mean, the Salvos have had it. That's yeah. uh, another Christian denomination. Um, Not to mention, by the way, you see these seamy stories from like evangelical yeah. churches in the US where there's like lots of corruption. Yeah. There just seems to be this, like from a specific kind of organizational or hierarchical structure with human beings in it, that this kind of crazy shit is almost, it seems, an inevitable outcome. Well, who, who would have thought that uh, having... Uh, authority granted to you based on an institution that you belong to rather than your own personal capabilities or intentions would turn out to be a bad thing for humanity. <laughs> yeah, but you could argue that you rose within the institution according to your capability. But I think that the problem was, and in many cases still is, mm. that it was your capability for self-promotion rather than your capability for effectively fulfilling your duties. Yeah. Um, and I think that the politicians are a great example of that. Like, you would not really consider our politicians to be good um, executioners of plans. No. Like, these are not competent that, they... human beings that have done things in the world to improve stuff. I would point to Turnbull as being an exception to that. Yeah, I mean, a hugely successful lawyer. Yeah. Um, Seems to be a highly, highly intelligent man. He was an, yeah, I mean, he was an investor in very successful technology companies. Yeah. Um, he's been in, involved in a lot of things that actually, like, require implementation prowess. But when you look at an apparatchik like Tony Abbott, who's done nothing but hang out in political circles, apart, of course, from a short stint in a seminary. Oh, and, um, and a very short stint as a journalist. Um, yeah, I mean, as a right-wing journalist, who uh... <laughs> there's nothing to indicate that that man has ever done anything in the world where there's like you need to solve a problem for people and you get feedback from like successful or failed implementation yeah. of a plan. Like it's all just stuff and nonsense when you're in politics. Yeah. I mean, the Labor Party in Australia is like the only people... They're worse. They, the only people they have are apparatchiks. Yeah, the Labor Party is worse than the Liberal Party. Like this kind of professional political class. Yeah. I feel like you need to have done something in your life. Yeah. And no, being a lawyer doesn't count. And I say that as a lawyer. I, <laughs> I just don't think that that's fucking good enough in terms of like, you know, making positive change in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, that's like, I, it's a strange topic because on one level, it's like, well, goodbye to all that. But on another level, it's like, well, maybe good riddance. Yeah. Like it, uh, it might be uh, creating more selfishness in the world as a whole with everyone being out for number one. But at the same time, I can't... Isn't it better I think on, Yeah, I think on balance, probably better that that bubble's been popped. Um well, there are less children getting abused now. That's a good thing. Put it that way, right? That's good. Like, I mean, you can't argue with I, that. I'd like to be able to say we weren't getting into stupid wars anymore. But we are. Yeah, but unfortunately, for some reason, that seems to endure. Mm. But I would be hopeful that there is less child abuse going on. Um, you know, I'd be hopeful that there are less teachers mistreating children. Yeah. Um, what other institutions? The cops. I would be hopeful that the cops are more considerate and less corrupt than they once were. Yeah. And almost certainly they are. So actually, while this might sort of at first glance seem like a depressing thing, maybe it's for the better. Yeah. Like if you're if you're only getting judged on who you are and what you do, uh, as opposed to what institution you belong to, mm. if you're not just being granted authority over people, 
of people granting you authority themselves because you happen to be their local priest or mm. or whatever. Mm. In the end, on balance, you probably have to say that's a good thing. Okay. Well, on that happy note, there we go. Let's finish it up. We'd like to hear your opinions on this, by the yeah. way. Um, uh, thank you uh, to uh, Stormo, Patrick Storman, for your feedback on the last podcast. Yeah, very interesting points to be made about the monarchy. Um, we won't play it on here, though, because he was driving a truck that was too loud in the background <laughs> for us to hear him very well. Yeah. Um, uh, so if you guys got any feedback, you can always email us at mail at patandrodsavetheworld.com. Yeah, or on Twitter, at Roderick Makem. Or at PJ Brown. Yeah. And uh, also a bit of feedback from our last podcast from uh, from my mate Carson over in Egypt. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, he really appreciated just hearing us chat about um, uh, theorizing about, you know, history and, uh, and that sort of stuff for okay. the podcast. So it was really, he thought it was an interesting, uh, interesting sort of historical, theoretical discussion, which Thank, I thought. Uh, thanks, Carson. We, um, we do talk out of our asses a lot, but at least we're honest about it. And maybe there is some, there are some good ideas amongst the dross. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I hope that like we're at least having 10% insight, 90% dross. Yeah. I'd be happy with that. I'd take that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Until next week, peeps. See ya.